Letter eleven of The Power of Sympathy or The Triumph of Nature Founded in Truth by William Hill Brown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter eleven Mrs. Holmes to Myra Bellevue. I sit down to give you, my dear Myra, some accounts of the visitants of today and their conversation. We are not always distinguished by such company, but perhaps it is sometimes necessary, and, as it is a relaxation from thought, it serves to give us more pleasure in returning to the conversation of people of ideas. Mrs. Bourne assumes a higher rank in life than she pretended to seven years ago. She then walked on foot she now by good fortune rides in a chariot placed however in a situation with which her education does not altogether comport she has nothing disagreeable but her over assiduity to please this is sometimes disgusting for one cannot feast heartily upon honey it is an error which a candid mind easily forgives she sometimes appears solicitous to display her mental accomplishments and desirous to improve those of her daughter, but it is merely apparent. Notwithstanding a temporary wish may arise toward the attainment of this point, a habitual vacancy nips it in the bud. Miss Bourne is about the age of fourteen, genteel, with a tolerable share of beauty, but not striking. Her dress was elegant, but might have been adjusted to more advantage. Not altogether awkward in her manner, not yet can she be called graceful. She has a peculiar air of drollery which takes her by fits, and for this reason, perhaps, does not avail herself of every opportunity of displaying the modesty of her sex. She has seen much company, but instead of polishing her manners, it has only increased her assurance. Thus much of the characters of our company. After some small chat, which passed as we took a turn in the garden, we entered the temple. "'What books would you recommend to put into the hands of my daughter?' said Mrs. Bourne as she walked into the library. "'It is a matter of some importance.' "'It is a matter of more importance,' answered Worthy, "'than is generally imagined, for unless a proper selection is made, one would do better never to read at all. Now, madam, as much depends on the choice of books, care should be taken not to put those in the way of young persons which might leave on their minds any disagreeable prejudices, or which has a tendency to corrupt their morals. As obvious as your remark is, added Mr. Holmes, it is evidently overlooked in the common course of education. We wisely exclude those persons from our conversation whose characters are bad, whose manners are depraved, or whose morals are impure. But if they are excluded from an apprehension of contaminating our minds, how much more dangerous is the company of those books where the strokes aimed at virtue are redoubled, and the poison of vice, by repeatedly reading the same thing, indelibly disdains the young mind? We all agree, rejoined Worthy, that it is as great a matter of virtue and prudence to be circumspect in the selection of our books as in the choice of our company. But, sir, the best things may be subverted to an ill use. 
hence we may possibly trace the course of the ill tendency of many of the novels extant most of the novels returned my father with which our female libraries are overrun are built on a foundation not always placed on strict morality and in the pursuit of objects not always probable or praiseworthy novels not regulated on the chaste principles of true friendship rational love and connubial duty appear to me totally unfit to form the minds of women of friends or of wives but as most young people read says mrs bourne what rule can be hit upon to make study always terminate to advantage impossible cried miss for i read as much as anybody and though it may afford amusement while i am employed i do not remember a single word when i lay down the book this confirms what i say of novels cried mr holmes addressing worthy in a jocular manner just calculated to kill time to attract the attention of the reader for an hour but leave not one idea on the mind i am far from condemning every production in the gross replied worthy general satire against any particular class or order of men may be viewed in the same light as a satire against species it is the same with books if there are corrupt or mortified members it is hardly fair to destroy the whole body now i grant some novels have a bad tendency yet there are many which contain excellent sentiments let these receive their deserved reward let those be discountenanced and if it is impossible to smite them with an apoplexy there is a moral certainty of their dying of a consumption but as mrs bourne observes most young persons read i will recommend to those who wish to mingle instruction with entertainment method and regularity in reading to dip into any book burdens the mind with unnecessary lumber and may rather be called a disadvantage than a benefit the record of memory is so scrawled and blotted with imperfect ideas that not one legible character can be traced were i to throw my thoughts on this subject said my good father-in-law as he began to enter more and more warmly into the debate drawing his chair opposite worthy and raising his hand with a poetical enthusiasm were i to throw my thoughts on this subject into an allegory i would describe the human mind as an extensive plain and knowledge as the river that should water it if the course of the river be properly directed the plain will be fertilized and cultivated to advantage but if books which are the sources that feed this river rush into it from every quarter it will overflow its banks and the plain become inundated when therefore knowledge flows on in its proper channel this extensive and valuable field the mind instead of being covered with stagnant waters is cultivated to the utmost advantage and blooms luxuriantly into a general efflorescence for a river properly restricted by high banks is necessarily progressive the old gentleman brought down his hands with great solemnity and we complimented him on his poetical exertion i cannot comprehend the meaning of this matter said the penetrative miss bourne i will explain it to you my little dear said he with good nature if you read with any design to improve your mind in virtue and every amiable accomplishment you should be careful to read methodically 
which will enable you to form an estimate of the various topics discussed in company and to bear a part in all those conversations which belong to your sex you see therefore how necessary general knowledge is what would you think of a woman advanced in life who has no other store of knowledge than what she has obtained from experience i think she would have a sorry time of it answered miss to prevent it in yourself said mrs bourne to her daughter be assiduous to lay in a good stock of this knowledge while your mind is yet free from prejudice and care how shall i go to work madam inquired the delicate daughter mrs bourne turned toward mr holmes which was hint enough for the good old man to proceed there is a medium to be observed continued he in a lady's reading she is not to receive everything she finds even in the best books as invariable lessons of conduct in books written in an easy flowing style which excel in description and the luxuriance of fancy the imagination is apt to get heated she ought therefore to discern with an eye of judgment between the superficial and penetrating the elegant and tawdry what may be merely amusing and what may be useful general reading will not teach her a true knowledge of the world in books she finds recorded the faithfulness of friendship the constancy of true love and even that honesty is the best policy if virtue is represented carrying its reward with it she too easily persuades herself that mankind have adopted this plan thus she finds when perhaps it is too late that she has entertained wrong notions of human nature that her friends are deceitful her lovers false and that men consult interest oftener than honesty a young lady who has imbibed her ideas of the world from desultory reading and placed confidence in the virtue of others will bring back disappointment when she expected gratitude unsuspicious of deceit she is easily deceived from the purity of her own thoughts she trusts the faith of mankind until experience convinces her of her error she falls a sacrifice to her credulity and her only consolation is the simplicity and goodness of her heart the story of miss whitman is an emphatical illustration of the truth of these observations footnote this young lady was of a reputable family in connecticut in her youth she was admired for beauty and good sense she was a great reader of novels and romances and having imbibed her ideas of the characters of men from those fallacious sources became vain and coquettish and rejected several offers of marriage in expectation of receiving one more agreeable to her fanciful idea disappointed in her fairy hope and finding her train of admirers less solicitous for the honour of her hand in proportion as the roses of youth decayed she was the more easily persuaded to relinquish that stability which is the honour and happiness of the sex the consequences of her amour being visible she acquainted her lover of her situation and a husband was proposed for her who was to receive a considerable sum for preserving the reputation of the lady but having received security for payment he immediately withdrew she then left her friends and travelled in the stage as far as watertown where she hired a young man to conduct her in a chaise to salem here she wandered alone and friendless 
and at length repaired to the bell tavern in danvers where she was delivered of a lifeless child and in about a fortnight after in july seventeen eighty eight died of a puerperal fever age about thirty-five years before her death she amused herself with reading writing and needlework and though in a state of anxiety preserved a cheerfulness not so much the effect of insensibility as of patience and fortitude she was sensible of her approaching fate as appears from the following letter which was written in characters must i die alone shall i never see you more i know that you will come but you will come too late this is i fear my last ability tears fall so i know not how to write why did you leave me in so much distress but i will not reproach you all that was dear i left for you but do not regret it may god forgive in both what was amiss when i go from hence i will leave you some way to find me if i die will you come and drop a tear over my grave in the following poem she like the dying swan sings her own elegy and it is here added as a sorrowful instance how often the best and most pleasing talents not accompanied by virtue and prudence operate the destruction of their possessor the description of her unfortunate passion will remind the critical reader of the famous ode of sappho in genius and in misfortune these poetical ladies were similar disappointment with fond impatience all the tedious day i sighed and wished the lingering hours away for when bright hesper led the starry train my shepherd swore to meet me on the plain with eager haste to that dear spot i flew and lingered long and then with tears withdrew alone abandoned to love's tenderest woes down my pale cheeks the tide of sorrow flows dead to all joys that fortune can bestow in vain for me her useless bounties flow take back each envied gift ye powers divine and only let me call fidelio mine ah wretch what anguish yet thy soul must prove ere thou canst hope to lose thy care in love and when fidelio meets thy tearful eye pale fear and cold despair his presence fly with pensive steps i sought thy walks again and kissed thy token on the verdant plain with fondest hope throw many a blissful bower we gave the soul to fancy's pleasing power lost in the magic of that sweet employ to build gay scenes and fashion future joy we saw mild peace o'er fair canaan rise and shower her blessings from benignant skies on airy hills our happy mansion rose built but for joy no room for future woes sweet as the sleep of innocence the day by transports measured lightly danced away to love to bliss the union soul was given and each too happy asked no brighter heaven and must the hours in ceaseless anguish roll will no soft sunshine cheer my clouded soul can this dear earth no transient joy supply is it my doom to hope despair and die oh come once more with soft endearments come burst the cold prison of the sullen tomb 
through favoured walks thy chosen maid attend where well-known shades their pleasing branches bend shed the soft poison from thy speaking eye and look those raptures lifeless words deny still be though late reheard what ne'er could tire but told each eve fresh pleasures would inspire still hope those scenes which love and fancy drew but drawn a thousand times were ever new can fancy paint can words express can aught on earth my woes redress e'en thy soft smiles can ceaseless prove thy truth thy tenderness and love once thou couldst every bliss inspire transporting joy and gay desire now cold despair her banner rears and pleasure flies when she appears fond hope within my bosom dies and agony her place supplies o thou for whose dear sake i bear a doom so dreadful so severe may happy fates thy footsteps guide and o'er thy peaceful home preside nor let eliza's early tomb infect thee with its baleful gloom End footnote. an inflated fancy not restricted by judgment leads too often to disappointment and repentance such will be the fate of those who become to use her own words lost in the magic of that sweet employ to build gay scenes and fashion future joy with a good heart she possessed a poetical imagination and an unbounded thirst for novelty but these airy talents not counterpoised with judgment or perhaps serious reflection instead of adding to her happiness were the cause of her ruin i conclude from your reasoning said i and it is besides my own opinion that many fine girls have been ruined by reading novels and i believe added miss bourne we may trace from hence the causes of spleen in many persons advanced in life you mean old maids madam cries the sagacious miss like my aunt deborah she calls all men deceitful and most women with her are no better than they should be well said exclaimed worthy the recollection of chagrin and former disappointment sours one's temper and mortifies the heart disappointment will be more or less severe in proportion as we elevate our expectations for the most sanguine tempers are the soonest discouraged as the highest building is in the most danger of falling it appears from what i have said resumed mr holmes that those books which teach us a knowledge of the world are useful to form the minds of females and ought therefore to be studied i mentioned rochefoucault's maxims do they not degrade human nature inquired my father this little book answered worthy contains much truth and those short sketches traced by the hand of judgment present to us the leading features of mankind but replied my father that interest should assume all shapes is a doctrine which in my mind represents a caricature rather than a living picture it is the duty of a painter to produce a likeness said worthy and a skilful one cried my father continuing the metaphor will bring the amiable qualities of the heart to light and throw those which disgrace humanity into the shade 
i doubt rejoined worthy whether this flattery will answer the purpose you aim to accomplish you entertain a high opinion of the dignity of human nature and are displeased at the author who advances anything derogatory to that dignity swift in speaking of these maxims in one of his best poems affirms they argue no corrupted mind in him the fault is in mankind as i began this subject added i it shall be ended by one observation as these maxims give us an idea of the manners and characters of men among whom a young person is soon to appear and as it is necessary to her security and happiness that she be made acquainted with them they may be read to advantage there is another medium said mr holmes assenting to my observation to be noticed in the study of a lady she takes up a book either for instruction or entertainment the medium lies in knowing when to put it down constant application becomes labor it sours the temper gives an air of thoughtfulness and frequently of absence by immoderate reading we hoard up opinions and become insensibly attached to them this miserly conduct sinks us to affectation and disgustful pedantry conversation only can remedy this dangerous evil strengthen the judgment and make reading really useful they mutually depend upon and assist each other a knowledge of history which exhibits to us in one view the rise progress and decay of nations which points out the advancement of the mind in society and the improvements in the arts which adorn human nature comes with propriety under the notice of a lady to observe the origin of civilization the gradual progress of society and the refinements of manners policy morality and religion to observe the progress of mankind from simplicity to luxury from luxury to effeminacy and the gradual steps of the decline of empire and the dissolution of states and kingdoms must blend that happy union of instruction and entertainment which never fails to win our attention to the pursuit of all subjects poetry claims her due from the ladies poetry enlarges and strengthens the mind refines the taste and improves the judgment it has been asserted that women have no business with satire now satire is but a branch of poetry i acknowledge however much false wit is sent into the world under this general title but no critic with whom i am acquainted ever called satire false wit for as long as vice and folly continue to predominate in the human heart the satirist will be considered as a useful member of society i believe addison calls him an auxiliary to the pulpit suffer me to enlarge on this new idea satire is the correction of the vices and follies of the human heart a woman may therefore read it to advantage what i mean by enforcing this point is to impress the minds of females with a principle of self-correction for among all kinds of knowledge which arise from reading the duty of self-knowledge is a very eminent one and is at the same time the most useful and important our ordinary intercourse with the world will present to us in a very clear point of view the fallacious ideas we sometimes entertain of our own self-knowledge we are blinded by pride and self-love and will not observe our own imperfections 
which we blame with the greatest acrimony in other people and seem to detest with the greatest abhorrence so that it often happens while we are branding our neighbour for some foible or vanity we ourselves are equally guilty ridiculous as this conduct must appear in the eyes of all judicious people it is too frequently practised to escape observation i will drop this piece of morality with a charge to the fair reader that whenever she discovers satire ridiculing or recriminating the follies or crimes of mankind that she look into her own heart and compare the strictures on the conduct of others with her own feelings end of letter eleven